is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Karen Pence is the wife of the vice president. She's teaching art at a place where the application requires would-be employees to initial next to a list of beliefs, including certain moral misconduct. Congress is the only one that can fund the border. Congress is the only one that can open up government. They need to go do their job. Um, and, and think about it, they're talking about doing a recess. If, if in my business life, I'd say, if we have a problem, we're all staying here until we get a resolve. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. <laughs> we have so much for you. First off, we are going to be talking with, uh, really, we, we have the best guest today. We have Brandon Darby from Breitbart News, and he's so amazing. I haven't talked to him in quite a while. Uh, I, I know Brandon Darby from my old CPAC days, way back in 2012. That's when I met him, uh, sitting in one of the big conference rooms, and another radio host at the time was doing her program, and we were sitting listening to it live. And he and I just struck up a conversation. I remember thinking to myself, how amazing it was that he would be so young and have such an amazing heart for trafficking victims. And he's been doing that work since then. I mean, he's been nonstop. So when, whether it's been uh, fame or fortune or whatever he's been working on, he has never lost his central focus on freeing people who are enslaved. And mainly we're talking about women and children here. And so he's been work, doing this work for really just consistently um, working in that field and helping women, young girls, little boys, whoever is a victim, no matter their nationality, no matter anything that they've been going through. So one of the things that I want to do today is, is get his take on what's happening at the southern border and talk to him about some of the things that can be done, whether it's congressionally or uh, in the realm of activism on our part, all of these things, we, there are things we can do. And so I'm so excited to have the opportunity to chat with him today. We are also going to be delving into uh, a number of different things. We're going to be taking your calls. Uh, we are also going to talk about Nordstrom. Their stock is down. You probably heard the story about um, second lady Karen Pence, apparently working at a Christian school is verboten, <laughs> no, no longer allowed. Uh, and these schools exist all over the country, thousands of them, probably tens of thousands of them, I'd say. Millions of American children are, are taught in buildings where the traditional social mores, shocking as they may be, are still the order of the day. So we're going to be uh, delving into that. Um, Nordstrom, their stock is down. They are on the kind of moderately naughty list for American Family Association. I'm going to draw a connection for you on that. And we're going to talk about that Gillette commercial and, and, and the connection of the Gillette commercial to the Me Too movement and the connection uh, between Christian morality. And, and it's almost like they're on a balancing scale. The less Christianity and morality we see in public life, the more of the Me Too type stuff we see, and the more we need companies to step out of their traditional role of producing products for people to buy and into the role of finger wagging, you know, kind of, you, nah, 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 you shouldn't do that type organizations. Who wants to hear from Gillette on morality? Not me. So we're going to talk about that. First off, I want to get into, and call lines are open, 866 963 2037. 866 963 2037. First thing I want to do for today is get into our daily confession. 
which starts off for today. It's a Bible verse that I stumbled across uh, during a time where I'd, I'd had some like viral video happen and I had a ton of negative feedback from that viral video. It, there was a ton of awesome feedback. So I'm not, it wasn't a negative experience in, in any case, but it was one of those situations where you, when something goes viral, you find out just how many people disagree with um, your opinions. And it really is irrelevant. Obviously, most people would say that what uh, some stranger, uh, you know, 800 miles away thinks about your opinions is irrelevant. But in this point, I was getting not just tweets and things like that, because you can always just log out of Twitter and you're, and you're done. I'm talking about emails and people who would chase me from site to site. So if I blocked them on YouTube, they'd find me on Facebook or they, you know, so they'd go from place to place to comment on my blog. If they were, their IP address was blocked, they'd move on. And I was surprised by the virulent nature of the hateful comments. It was as if, you know, these people were thinking, you know, because you've had this opinion, some of them would say you should be dead. You should die. You can't have this opinion. And during this time, I, I remember going to my Bible and thinking, you know, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed here, but I'm also, I, I need some encouragement. And I stumbled across this scripture. It's John 5, 41. So this is New Testament. And this is Jesus talking about, um, it, it's, it's amazing to me. He's talking about the approval of others. Now, first things first, I am not comparing myself to Jesus. But I am saying that when we look in the Bible and we see, let's say, a scripture, and it can pertain to the situation that we're currently in, we can take heart in emulating the actions of our Lord and Savior. So in this scripture, and, and the New International Version, I'll give you a few other versions. John 541, it says, I do not accept glory from human beings. New Living Translation is, your approval means nothing to me. English Standard Version, I do not receive glory from people. Berean Study Bible, I do not accept glory from men. And the next verse, five, chapter 5, verse 42 is, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God within you. So Jesus is telling these people, so you don't approve, so what? And I remembered reading it, and it was as if little, um, little explosions of like fireworks were going off. And I, I, I had to put the negative response to what I'd sent out into perspective. And I think it's a lesson we all need to plug into because there are always going to be naysayers and people who disapprove of what you're doing. Now, we have to draw a dividing line here. If I'm doing something wrong or immoral, if I'm breaking the law, if I'm breaking God's law, if I'm going against what God's word says, then the disapproval of others is appropriate and it should be something that triggers a response in me, namely change in attitude and behavior, repentance and turning away from the sin. So this does not justify sin. It does not justify holding a sinful position. You cannot take John 5, 41 through 42 and say, well, you know what? I just don't have any, uh, any, any caring about your dislike of abortion. That, now you're going against the Bible. Now you're taking one Bible verse to refute what numerous other Bible verses say. That's not how this thing works. But if you're truly concerned with behaving in a way that glorifies God, it's not a flippant attitude as if to say, you know, 
you can go kill yourself because that's the response some people have when they get tweeted, kill yourself, then they'll tweet back, no, you kill yourself. And that's, you know, that's smart alecking, that's catty, and it's the internet. But the proper attitude is, first of all, I am not concerned with what you're concerned with, which is you ju- you're just triggered by what I've said because the truth hurts. I'm more concerned about your soul and your stat of, state of salvation and whether or not you're going to be in the place you want to be in in eternity. So the difference of opinion goes further than just, I hate what you said and me saying back, yeah, well, you know, whatever. So John 5, 43 New International Version, I have come in my father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. Now, this harkens back. Yesterday, we talked a little bit at the end of the show about um, Lauren Daigle and a lot of the contemporary Christian artists where they kind of bring glory to their own name as opposed to bringing glory to God and how that is evidenced by the fact that they go mainstream and then they begin to refute the Bible or to say they don't understand the Bible or they're not sure what the Bible says on this or that hot button social issue. And then they go so far as to say, well, I'm not actually strictly a Christian artist. In other words, stop holding me to those standards. Stop asking me about that. I just want to make music and make money. And I just want you to pay attention to me, my followers, my this, my that. And I'm, I'm not castigating these people because I don't enjoy their music. On the contrary, I do. I enjoy their music. And I was sharing yesterday, that was simply sharing what the author wrote for us to think about. Um, it bears thinking and introspection when we're talking about the music or when we're talking about, you know, hateful followers on Twitter or Instagram or wherever, or if we're just talking about our interactions with each other. But Jesus set forward an example. He says, I come in my father's name and you do not receive me. Elsewhere in the Bible, he told the disciples to shake the dust from their feet when they go into a town and the town doesn't receive them. And so he says, you know, go where you're received and spread the gospel. But if they won't receive it, Shake the dust off and move on. So keep doing the work that you're going to do. And I guess all of this is to share and clarify. First of all, that's where this kind of, it's a strange resolve that people keep marveling at. And, and, you know, the comments from people who don't like what I'm saying is you just don't seem to get it. I do get it. And I have taken the time to consider where I'm coming from. And I'm not saying this because I'm fantastic or because I'm so great. I'm saying This is not something that I'm paid, quote fingers, to say. Yes, I get paid for the work that I do, but it's not they first said, will you say this? And I said, sure. And then they're like, okay, we'll pay you. It's more like I'm saying this and then the work comes. And it's that way for most successful people. You start doing the work and then the extra work comes after that once you're you're already entrenched in doing a good job. And- so it's, it's really, it's not about me. That is the thing that I think is the most important for me to take from this. Jesus Christ came to earth to disciple others, to first, first to, to free us from the sin debt that we all owe. Second, to give us an alternative from an, an eternity separated from, from the presence of God. And lastly, to enable us to enjoy life to the fullest, abundantly, with joy in in the face of any obstacles or circumstances. Therefore, it doesn't matter what host you're listening to uh, on, on Christian radio, if they're presenting the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified, and bringing the truth to you, it's not about that host. It's not about me. 
So you're listening to the show. Yes, it's Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk all over the country, 32 states, 800 communities. Woohoo! Awesome. But it's about the truth. And I'm trying to get that Christian worldview out there and the truth about what's happening in our country because it's a decline. And that brings us into our, our first subject today, which is, you know, you got these liberals all over, liberals, Democrats, leftists, progressives, whatever label floats your boat, ripping into Second Lady Karen Pence because she's decided to go back to doing part-time work at a Christian school. And the Christian school that she's going to work at um, happens to have what most Christian schools have. You cannot go work at a Christian school and be in a same-sex relationship, um, be living adulterously, be live cohabitating with someone that's not your spouse. I mean, you just can't be openly in opposition to what the Bible says in your personal life. And so you have to sign a statement of faith affirming that you agree with the Bible is true. And usually they're, they're pretty similar across the board. Um, and denominationally, they kind of skew to what denominations have as their, their creed, you know. And they all say, all of the traditional ones, the Bible-based ones, will say that uh, the, the Bible is the word of God. It's the true and inerrant word of God. That the triune God, you know, three persons in one. And, and you know, it's, it's basic theology here. And so she's going to go teach at this art school where she's taught previously. And everyone's angry because it has a traditional statement of faith. Now, listen, people wouldn't be so angry if they knew what we Christians believed. That's why we have to get out and tell them. That's what I'm doing here. So when people are tuning in and getting angry, it's because they haven't been exposed. How can you be an American and not know what basic Christian doctrine is? We're going to find this more and more often because the millennials, the current crop of adults that are coming into power, they're the most unchurched generation. And the ones behind them, the one my kids are in, are going to be more unchurched than they are. So we're going to be running into a lot of people when you say marriage is between one man and one woman and there are two genders, these people are literally going to Kirk out on you. Like Captain Kirk used to go crazy on the aliens. That's a phrase created by my sister and I, I use it all the time. I'm telling you the freakouts will only increase. And that's why you have to be firm in what you believe. As Karen Pence says, she loves teaching art. She's going to go teach art to kids. She doesn't care what these people say and she shouldn't. The approval that she is seeking doesn't come from man. My approval doesn't come from man. I want to put on a good program, but I'm not looking for approval here. Not from haters. You know, it, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. The example set forth in scripture shows that we should be working to please God. When we get back, we're going to have Brandon Darby with us. Stay right there. The Ministry of Preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry, and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. This mom chose life for her baby. She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby. And I'm so grateful. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. 
That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a legacy moment. My Uncle Henry lived with us from the time I was born until I went off to college. When I was 13 and a half years old, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. At that time, Henry was somewhat hostile to the things of the Lord. He loved me, but he'd sometimes poke fun at me and Christianity in general. Well, Henry became very sick with cancer, and he went to the hospital. It happened that a minister stopped in to visit my uncle. Unbeknownst to any of us, God had been softening Henry's heart, using cancer to get his attention. The minister shared the gospel with him. Henry surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, went on to live several more years, and became a tremendous witness for Jesus Christ. God specializes in turning around apparently difficult, impossible situations in people. Think of the conversion of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. Paul was not just an unbeliever. He was a hostile enemy of the cross. In fact, he was on his way to go get some Christians to kill them. Listen to Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Jesus intercepted him, and Saul became the Apostle Paul. And some have said that he became the greatest follower of Christ who ever lived. Here's what I want you to remember today. Keep praying for those who are hostile to the gospel. Who knows? There may be another Apostle Paul out there. More information about the ministry of Crawford Lorenz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. You can find out more about what we're doing at American Family Radio at, at AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. And StacyOnTheRight.com is my website where you can subscribe. And right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. We have Brandon Darby. He's the director of Border and Cartel Chronicles Project for Breitbart News. Brandon, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on. I'm 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 so torn up about the the truth that's coming out about what's happening at the border. You've been telling that truth for a very long time, and it's only now coming to full light. The president has now taken the time to explain women being kidnapped and thrown into the trunks of cars. We've seen the stories, not so mainstream, but we've seen them definitely on Breitbart, about people being packed into the back of semis and, and suffocating on the trip through the, the you know, entry points and you know, 16, 19, you know, dozens of bodies being found in the back of these semis, sometimes little children in there as well. And this is something that could be rectified if we would simply address our southern border. What is your work showing you on that front? Well, like you said, we've been doing this for a very long time. I started really focusing on the border shortly after Andrew Breitbart passed away. Um, and uh, we've been covering it for a very long time. So, so, you know, I think the big things that people need to keep in mind uh, before any conversation is that, you know, the border is is roughly 2,000 miles of southwest border. It has um, it has nine sectors, according to how our government uh, and Border Patrol uh, lays it out. And all of those nine sectors are dealing with something different, usually multiple 
uh, stations in those sectors are dealing with different different ter- uh, topography, different geog- geography, different criminal groups, different uh, those different criminal groups we call cartels have different um, ways that they do business, different operating procedures, different personalities. And then when we go into Mexico, uh, which is something that we do as well, um, you know, all of that area along the border, that is also part of the border region, right? It isn't, um, it isn't just the U.S. side, it's also the Mexican side. And that, that's where the real problems are, the really heavy problems, um, depending on the, the, the cartel that's in control of that section, right, of the mm-hmm. border. Uh, some of them kill journalists. Some of them don't kill journalists. Some of them make as much or more from illegal immigration and from our asylum system as they do from narcotics. Others just focus on narcotics. And so all of these problems together and all of these factors really have to be considered and weighed when we're talking about the border. And that's just not something that a lot of people are doing right now. They're not really uh, acknowledging the nuance and the differences. Uh, they're just talking about the border um, because it's, I think, the the latest story to come up that they, you know, that people care about right now. And for us, uh, we do see the nuance and we do see uh, the differences, and, and uh, we see that most people aren't discussing those. So let's let's you know let's kind of make this a little more real here. Um, I've I've so the information that you're sharing may be news to some, but for people who've been paying attention, we all know that these different drug cartels, America is their primary source of income, and they've only branched out because they've seen opportunities to do so. A wall at our southern border, it it kind of gets. I hate the way it's discussed. It's as if we're talking about walling in my yard, which it has, you know, contiguous sides and there's no no way of there's nothing to prevent like boulders or rocks or there's no river running through it. If I wanted to wall our yard in completely, it would actually be a rectangle and I could do it and put a gate in to drive cars through and I could completely wall it off. Our southern border is not like that, but the discussion around the wall has been I don't know, it, it's been mutated into something crazy that ignores the truth of the matter, which is that there are these big, wide-open stretches. It's desert territory, so it's dangerous, but drug cartels that have billions of dollars on the line don't care about that. They're, they're penetrating the country through these wide-open spaces that are not only unguarded but have no barrier, right? Well, in part, yes, in part. So some of them, again, I mean, if we're looking at, you know, when we're dealing with the, the Rio, just the Rio Grande Valley sector, right, and, and that's, that's southern Texas along the Gulf of Mexico. That's the, the easternmost portion of the southwest border. Um, you know, from, from the Gulf of Mexico to uh, about Zapata, Texas, that is Gulf cartel territory. Now, if you break it down further, from the Gulf of Mexico uh, to about halfway to um, McAllen, Texas, that is the, the Matamoros faction of the Gulf cartel, and they're in conflict and at war with the Reynosa faction of the Gulf cartel, which is the dominant faction. They can, I mean, we could just break it down if we went through all nine sectors in which criminal groups control those sectors and what those criminal groups do. So those groups tend to enjoy and exploit an open border or an unsecured border, is an actually more accurate way to say it. Those groups tend to do that. But if we were to go to the, to the far side, of the U.S.-Mexico border, which would be uh, south of San Diego, San Isidro, right along the Pacific, uh, north of Tijuana, those groups tend to not use the border. The only people crossing the border illicitly there 
are people who are coming in illegally. There's not very many of them there in relation to other, to the what we see in Texas and the Rio Grande Valley sector. Those groups tend to get most of their drugs through ports of entry, whether it be train or whether it be uh, uh, legitimate ports of entry in vehicles. And on people, they tend to use ultralight vehicles. They tend to use tunnels. Um, so it's a very different situation. And if we, you know, depending upon where you are on that border, some places a border barrier is, is very good. Some places it has been very good. Some places, because of the MO of the cartels there, it really wouldn't affect things very much, right? So, mm-hmm. so when, when we talk about putting more border barrier in the San Diego sector, well, the areas, we've already built the wall in the San Diego sector for the most part. So, so in the urban areas, right? So there are a lot of rural areas, but drugs really don't come across those. It's really people coming and usually turning themselves in. You can build uh, a wall to the moon in the San Diego sector, and it isn't going to have much of an impact on on narcotics. Um, but now if we go to the Texas, again, back to the Texas border in the Rio Grande Valley sector, uh, building a wall there does have an impact uh, when it comes to narcotics. It just depends on where we're talking about. But I think people need to realize that, that most of the urban areas along the U.S.-Mexico border have a- actually already have the wall. Uh, they already have a big barrier that's 18 feet high, uh, some places 12 feet high. Uh, they already have those barriers that we're trying to build in other places. The only large urban area along the entire U.S.-Mexico border that doesn't have the barrier built is, is Laredo, Texas, and that's between Laredo and Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, right? Laredo, Texas, and Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. And that's actually the headquarters of Los Zetas, one of the most brutal cartels in Mexico. So it's kind of bizarre that they don't have the barrier. But but most of the, all of the other urban areas do have that barrier. So for several decades, people on the left and migrant ag- advocates were saying, hey, you know, the U.S. is funneling people. They built these walls in the cities, so now it funnels migrants into the deserts and into these dangerous areas where migrants are dying. They've said that for decades. Well, the implication is is that obviously the barriers are working because it's funneling people to another place. People aren't just coming across it. They're having to go way out of the way to try to get in. Well, now what's happening is is finally, you know, they're going to get their wish and there's going to be a barrier built in those remote places so that migrants aren't entering those dangerous places in mass. Some will still get over. Some will still get around it. But in mass, they're not entering. And now they're saying, well, you know, that's inhumane. And now they've dropped the inhumane uh, talking point, and they're saying, no, the walls don't work, the barriers don't work. (laughs) Well, if you just go back and look over the last 20 years of what their advocates and and what people on the left have said, uh, primarily on the left, some groups on the right are okay with it, but, but if you look at what they've said, it is very clear that barriers do have an impact. So, so it, it it really just depends on where we're talking about. There's so much. I mean, we could talk for an hour or two about this, and about it takes about an hour to really sufficiently discuss what's going on there, even at a you know a ten thousand foot level, um, uh, in the different regions that compose our our border, you know, our, our shared border with Mexico. But but the, the barriers do work uh, for some things. Um, because we've already built barriers in urban areas over the last two decades, uh, a lot of criminal groups 
you know, if, if you were to go to the, the DEA's National Drug Threat Assessment, you'll see that almost 90% of the heroin that comes in the country comes in through ports of entry. The, almost 90% of the cocaine that comes in the country comes in through ports of entry. The same is true with methamphetamine. And that's because those barriers work. And so it's shifted. So, so uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the drugs that do come in across the border would, would in fact start coming through ports of entry if we built a barrier in, in some of these areas. And then that allows us to focus our resources and our technology on the ports of entry, right? Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, you're you know, making so, so, so much it, it sense does here. Get very complicated. Yeah. Well, but but I, this is why we had to have you on to talk about this because what you've just explained. So you've you've walked us through it. We've we've just taken a tour of the southern border. You talk about the cities where there is very little illegal immigration because the wall is there. So seeing the wall, illegal entrants go to open spaces where. It's it's a fact. Many of them die. We covered on the show yesterday. It's about 150 to 200 or a little under 200 bodies a year, bodies of human beings that are remains that are found every year in these different desert areas along the southern border. And so what's happening is they last year. Oh, 400. Wow. So then that's not even the total tally what we, we reported yesterday. So. Brandon, you got these people coming in and they're dying. And what we're saying is this is a humanitarian crisis. We have human trafficking and smuggling, and we could actually focus more of our efforts on reducing the drugs coming in. That's what you just described. We could use our money and resources on technology and people to prevent the drugs from coming in, which is what's contributing to the tens of thousands of Americans who are dying from opioid overdoses and methamphetamine and everything else. But the Democrats are saying, well... Yeah, but that would be inhumane. What is inhumane about stopping people from dying in our deserts well, while they're trying to come in? Well, let's let's look at that real quick when we talk about opioids. So, so here's what happened. And as we began to decriminalize marijuana in the United States, then U.S. companies began to produce higher quality marijuana than what, what was being grown in the fields of Mexico, which is what most of their, their illicit crops were, were fields were designated for marijuana. That became known as Mexican swag rather than the kind bud or the hydro that we grew in the U.S. Well, Mexicans couldn't compete, so what they began to do was they began to do two things to replace their profits. One is they turned towards uh, smuggling of humans, and that's when we began to see the overwhelming numbers being promoted going to the Rio Grande Valley sector, right? That's when the Gulf Cartel and Los Etos began to make more of their money from illegal immigration and from our asylum system than they did from narcotics, and that's because they were trying to replace their uh, their marijuana uh, profits that they lost. Um, and then in Mexico as a whole, the Sinaloa and others stopped growing marijuana in the fields, and they started cultivating poppies. So they began to flood our market with heroin because they were trying to replace their lost profits from marijuana. Now, one of the problems with Mexican heroin is that it is not very good. It's called black tar heroin. And so they realized that if they would mix fentanyl into their, their substandard heroin, then it would be just as good as the Asian heroin, and it would make people feel just as good. And that's why we're having overdoses, is because we have an influx of Mexican heroin mixed with Chinese fentanyl. So, so I'm not against uh, decriminalization of marijuana by any means, but I do think that we need to acknowledge that all of our policy choices do have consequences, and, mm. and one of the negative consequences, uh, uh, we would call negative, I, I would call negative for sure, is, is 
that Mexican field, marijuana field, turn to poppy production, you know? Um, so I think that's something that we, we do need to discuss when we're talking about uh, our heroin and, and opioid overdoses. Most of them aren't opioid overdoses. Well, they are only because the fentanyl, right? It's the, it's the uncontrollable, un, uh, unknowable amount of fentanyl in a, in a hit that is killing people. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so much Sorry, information. I mean, no, no, a... it's fantastic. I'm just trying to take it all in because here I am sitting here thinking I know, I know a little something. I had no idea that the legalization of marijuana was actually driving the, the, the okay. But in any yep, case, what, what you're talking about is that we have this short-sighted view um, and and it's it's driven by different forces, right? The people who want to make marijuana legal aren't interested in other illicit drugs because their their primary thing that they're interested in is is marijuana. But what we do see is we have bad actors south of the border who are determined to make money off of Americans using drugs. And so if you take one option away, they just move to the next one. And they haven't changed their methods because Americans are dying from their new mix. They're just like, well, you know, that's your problem. We're still going to sell drugs in America. I mean, so we, we're we dealing with an evil force that is out to make money off of us, come hook or crook, and we have to address this. I'm, You know what I'm going to do? I want you to answer that, but when we hear the music, that means we don't have any time left, and I'm going to hold you over so you can kind of wrap all of this up with your suggestions on what we should do. Um, so isn't that the case, though? We have this evil group down there. They're doing what they do best, regardless of what happens well, we to have- Americans. We have about 1,100 evil groups down there doing it. It's not a, a group. The, the, the cartel, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it when you get back, but basically um, there are countless uh, Mexican cartels, transnational criminal groups in Mexico, and many times competing with each other. And, you know, we don't acknowledge that as a nation. We see, for instance, we see the Sinaloa cartel as a cartel, and we don't acknowledge that it's actually a federation of hundreds of, of regional cartels uh, who are oftentimes at war with each other, even though we call them the Sinaloa. And our inability to see nuance creates an inability. We, we, we have these solutions that are one size fits all, fits all when they're really not effective because we're unable to recognize the differences in the, in the group. Mm. You're good, Brandon, because you... You stopped just before the music. We're going to wrap up with you. Thank you for holding over. I appreciate your time. It's been so good to talk to you. We're going to keep Brandon Darby over. Brandon, director of Border and Cartel Chronicles Project for Breitbart News. Good friend of mine and good friend of the show. We'll be back with him and more for you right here on American Family Radio. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. In my book, The Soul of a Team, SOUL is an acronym, and the U in the acronym stands for unity, which means understanding and rallying around your team's mission, philosophy, and culture through open communication and positive conflict resolution. The Apostle Peter wrote, All of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Someone can bring disunity without being completely at odds with what the team is trying to accomplish. 
As a result, little by little, over time, the team may find itself well off course and they cannot generate the momentum needed for high achievement. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team, from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. I was drinking and I tried to stop on my own, but I couldn't, and it was a complete disaster for my family. I decided to make a change by coming to Teen Challenge. My life is transforming right now, and I have come to realize that God has a plan for me. If you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, Adult to Teen Challenge can help. There are centers across the country, and you can find the one nearest you at 855-END-ADDICTION or at TeenChallengeUSA.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Listen, do you really know who Jesus is? And let me help you to know who he is. You think about all of these kind of false Jesuses that are floating around social media. Oh, you know the Jesus. You know, you got the ethnocentric Jesus. You got the political Jesus, left-wing Jesus. You know, all these popular Jesuses. But but the, the question I think all of us need to ask is will the real Jesus stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. Tuned in to Equipped. Weekday afternoons at 12 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Fox on Justice, a big win for supporters of the wall and new evidence that at least in some cases, walls work. This particular wall is in Bakersfield, California. It doesn't stretch for hundreds of miles. It only goes a few feet. The wall blocks a walkway between two neighborhoods, Stockdale Estates and the Amberton subdivision. Michael and Dan Hansen put up the wall in 2013. According to their lawyer, the Hansen's home and others nearby had been repeatedly burglarized and vandalized. But some of their neighbors didn't find the wall very neighborly. Among other things, kids had been using that walkway to get to and from school for years. The battle over the wall went to court, as these things tend to do. The Hansons argued that since the wall went up, the mischief stopped. But the judge ruled for the neighbors and ordered the Hansons to tear down that wall. But on appeal, a reversal. The court ruling the wall was on the Hansons' property, so they were legally entitled to build it. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weindlum, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacey of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Okay, you guys, um, we are going to be chatting, finishing up our chat with Brandon Darby. I want to give you a preview of my guest lineup for the next few days. We're speaking to NFL champ Burgess Owens and Dr. Carol Swain, and the Sam Sorbo. That's who's coming up on the show over the next few days. So super excited about that. Right now, I'm still super excited. And I mean, I have to temper my excitement with the subject matter, but I'm always really just, it's a fascinating walk through what's really going on at the southern border with our current guest, Brandon Darby. He's the director of Border and Cartel Chronicles Project for Breitbart News. And I feel like speaking to people who've been on the border, who've actually spent time on the border who know it he's mapped it out for us he clearly knows it and so Brandon how would you how would you wrap this up because it's a lot of information I'm sure people are going to share this on the podcast and really have discussions about it what do we do I know first of all we need to seal the southern border we need to secure it but what else do we need to do to make this problem it's never going all the way away but we could definitely do better than this Hmm. I'm not sure if you guys are hearing Brandon, but I'm not hearing Brandon. Um, let me look and see if my producer has. Oh, okay. So he couldn't hold over. So um, I did not 
want to kind of take his extra time, but he's definitely, he's probably got another interview scheduled. I think one of the things that is more most important for us and when we're having this discussion is to know the information such as what he shared. He literally gave us a picture of what happens when we make a unilateral decision. And I know it's been decades in the making. People wanting to legalize marijuana, people wanting to make, um, you know, marijuana an opportunity for people to it basically lots of people going to prison for possessing marijuana or for, you know, growing it and selling it to their friends and neighbors, marijuana dealers selling it to kids. So it has been an illicit drug. It's been, it's still a federal crime to own it, to use it, et cetera, et cetera. But state by state, people have been pushing out and making a change. Well, I can't, I can't be that person who, so I, and I know I get a lot of people who are upset with me online about this, but I'm not interested in the legalization of marijuana. It is not something that I think is a good idea. And if you look at the research and what it does to the brains of developing brains of kids, the, the human brain develops until the age of 25, especially in men. So you're smoking marijuana and retarding that growth while it's going on. So they said, well, just wait and make it legal at 25. Well, people who are most interested in smoking marijuana are not 25-year-olds. They have some interest, but the highest level of interest comes in at the, the level of the, of the kids teenagers they want to do it then and others say oh it's not a gateway drug but it is once you start using marijuana for some people they're not able to stop and people who are predisposed to have uh, a problem with addiction for for them starting off with marijuana just means they're now on the path to harder illicit drugs so whatever the case might be if, if you're for marijuana legalization or if you're against it the fact is that we're moving towards this cleaner, safer marijuana uh, in the United States, homegrown. And these thousands of groups, as he said, 1,100, 1,500, whatever that number was of, peop- of groups that are down there fighting over the right to deal drugs to us, it, it paints a much more stark picture than what we're hearing from people like Nancy Pelosi. And we don't have a choice in the matter if we want to save lives. If we want to save lives, we have to first make it so that people can't get through the border. Then some will still get through, but the number will be so greatly reduced that we can then concentrate, as Brandon Darby said, on those areas where we, um, we clearly are not catching the drugs. They're coming through anyway because we don't have the manpower and the resources and the technology that's needed to stop them at the ports of entry. So let's go to the phones, and then I have so much more. I'm, in fact, I have audio number three, um, which is about prayer rugs being found out in the desert. First, let's go to the phones. We have uh, Robert in Oklahoma. Thank you for calling the show today. Uh, thank you, Stacey. Um, I just had a comment to make about the uh, criticism of uh, the Christian policy of the wife uh, of the school that the uh, pre- uh, vice president wife is going to. Yeah, yeah. And and it should be basically everybody should understand that basically uh, the progressive since is that any religious, any uh, sexual rights should trump over any religious rights. These mm-hmm. are the same people who uh, holler about separation of church and state, yet they trying to invade the church and any Christian organization with their political uh, correctness. And I think, uh, I wish someone would play uh, Last Man Standing with the religion so that Tim Allen had, which talked about people getting so upset about mm-hmm. political correctness. 
uh, it was a good show. Because, uh, it was an example of them trying to also hinder free speech and freedom of religion. And uh, that's what I had to say. Uh, such a good comment. So, Robert, you're right. Um, it's one of those things where they keep saying with their mouths that they don't want to influence anything. They just want to love whoever they can love and et cetera. But what they really have fallen into is a form of totalitarianism. Anything that their ideas touch has to be converted into their ideology, which means everything, everything they see, everything that exists in this world has to be converted and morphed into something that, you know, hews to their ideology. It means you can't have church. You can't have folks, you know, over there believing whatever they want. The First Amendment, it exists, but only for people who believe like we do. Um, so let's go to Mary in Kansas. Hey, Mary, thanks for calling the show today. Thank you. I have a thought you may not be able to answer today, but the veteran that's been raising money in Florida for the wall through the uh, whatever that what that site is. The, yeah, GoFundMe. Can, yeah, yeah. can he go through the state of Texas itself and see if the state itself could take the money and start building the wall without going through the federal government? And that money could go ahead and be starting on that area that is really the worst along the Texas border. I was just wondering, you know, if that is possible. Well, okay. So the short answer is I do not know, but I did have that story from uh, yesterday. We listened to the audio of the one of the more recent. He was just elected in the fall. He's a young guy. He's from West Virginia, and he's asking his state to appropriate $10 million to send to the federal government for building of the wall. So he wants states to contribute. The immigration and Customs Enforcement falls under the federal government, and that has been remanded to the executive by Congress, congressional acts that, that, that have passed and been signed into law. So the president, has, it's his purview. Now, how it's funded is a whole nother thing, and it's so complex. One of my, uh, and I've, I've mentioned this before, and I think we're going to be able to get a Heritage guest on next week to kind of explain the law to us a little bit, because it's so difficult to you can just kind of look it up yourself. I've, I've done some you know, searching on Bing to find out what, what is the law, but there are so many laws in the Federal Register about how things are done. We know appropriations have to come through the House of Representatives. They control the purse. But as far as states contributing, that's a whole other thing. And I don't believe that the state of Texas has the right to erect a wall on their own. Um, but then again, we just heard about the, the ranchers who erected wall on their private property. I don't know if the state of Texas can do it. So uh, the answer is I don't know. But that's a great question, and we will answer it with a guest from the Heritage Foundation. Um, so here's the big story that I – and I don't know how the news media is reporting it because, hey, we're here live on the radio. But I have tweeted out a picture of a letter from the President of the United States, and it says – the Honorable Nancy Pelosi has her address. Dear Madam Speaker, due to the shutdown, I'm sorry to inform you that your trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan – has been postponed. We will reschedule this seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over. In light of the 800,000 great American workers not receiving pay, I'm sure that you would agree that postponing this public re relations event is totally appropriate. I also feel that during this period, it would be better if you were in Washington negotiating with me and joining the strong border security movement to end the shutdown. Obviously, if you would like to make your journey by flying commercial, that would certainly be your prerogative. I look forward to seeing you soon and even more forward to watching our open and dangerous southern border finally receive the attention, funding, and security it so desperately deserves. So, savagery is now in play. The president canceled the plane that she's planning on using. What I love about it is that he's been saying 
to her, come on, let's talk about this. She's been basically switching goalposts. Well, if you just would open the government, then we could talk. He says, okay, I'll open the border. Within 30 days, will we have a deal? No, no wall. So she doesn't want a wall. She's not going to uh, to give in or, or help him in any way. And I think if if we're looking at this thing, he's got to stick to his guns. And that's what he's doing. But the details are so dastardly and there's there's no good news down there. Like people keep saying, well, it, you know, we should, uh, some new survey says that 65% of Democrats would let anyone enter our Southern border as long as they weren't a criminal. So you don't have to be lawful. You don't need immigration. Just coming through the Southern border, anyone, as long as you're not a criminal or a terrorist. What, what are they feeding Democrats in America today? I almost feel like that survey must be some sort of a hoax. So here is uh, a border rancher, a woman who lives and owns property on the southern border of the United States, talking about the things they found and how many people come through the border who are not Mexican. It's number three. So I obviously don't have it, any proof of it, but I've talked to several agents that I trust. There's not a lot that I do trust, but the ones that I do trust, I've talked to them. The percentage of what Border Patrol classifies as OTMs has really increased in the last couple years, but drastically even in the last six months. Um, Chinese, Germans, Russians, a lot of Middle Eastern, Middle Easterners, um, those Czechoslovakians they caught over on our neighbor this last summer. There's a lot of, of people coming in from not just Mexico and they need, and people, the general public just don't get the terrorist facts of that. And that's what's really scary is you don't know what's coming across. We found prayer rugs out here. Um, it's, it's unreal. It's not just Mexican nationals that are coming over. Well, um, wouldn't that be something that Nancy Pelosi should be concerned about? Prayer rugs? So that means it's easier to get into the country to do things you want to do to and they could be anything terrorist things kidnappings whatever you want to do it's easier to get into the country by coming just fly into guatemala or mexico make the trek up north and travel into the country under radar because when you fly into the country there's a plane ticket and there is at least a record that you entered the country a searchable database where the the fbi and homeland security and dhs they can say you know who just flew into the country that's how they find out that terrorists are in the country They'll, they'll see the terrorist has applied for a visa in their home country. They know they're on a terror watch list. And so that flag, a human being, an FBI agent, an, an agent at Homeland Security, will then reach out to their counterpart and say, you know, the, this flag has just been raised. This person is in America. Uh, they flew into this port and we're now, you know, they're, they're now re researching to find out which, which way did they go? Where did, did they stay in the city that they flew into or are they going somewhere else? It's so interesting that they've done that for so long when they could just go to the southern border and come in that way. The danger of the trek is outweighed by if, if someone's radicalized, they want to do terrorism, or if someone, as, as Brandon Darby just said, these people are dealing not just in narcotics, but in people. There's a lot of money in it. And when you're at that level of evil, you're not going to let the fact that it's 100 degrees in the shade stop you from doing what you need to do. You're going to get around that. There's enough technology out there to get around it. In fact, if you go to my Facebook page, uh, I, I posted a story from CBS. It was so funny. 
one of one of the good friends of the show online, she sent it to me um, in in direct message. She's <laughs> she's like, you know, got the laughing face. Her name is Michelle. She sends me all these great stories. Um, the story is a suspected drug smugglers get stuck trying to drive over the U.S.-Mexico fence. So, you know, the steel slat fence that has been such a source of contention. They actually put metal rods up one side of it and slid metal rods down the other side. Are you picturing this? If you want to see it for yourself, just go to the Facebook page. It's posted right there. And they drove a Jeep Cherokee up the steel slats on the, the up. So these two pieces of metal to support a car that weighs probably what? Three, 4,000 pounds plus what they have in it. They drive it up to the top, but because the top of the fence is it's pointed and the two pieces are touching there. Once it got to the top, the body of the car is now stuck. So the car is literally stuck on the top of the border fence with the metal rods on each side. And that is sitting there as an example of how, I guess, smart these drug smugglers are. And I posted, you know, smart enough to steal into America, not smart enough to improve their own country. Last night, as I was cooking, I was thinking, why are they so bent on selling drugs in America? And then I thought about it. We, we have the disposable income to buy drugs here in America. In Mexico, when you're making a dollar a day or $3 a day, you don't have any money for drugs. You're not interested in getting high on drugs. You want money for food. You're, you're trying to make it just to live. So if the cartels are selling drugs to Americans and you can work for them, then that's what you're going to do. It's just pure evil. And it's also pure evil on our side that we aren't doing anything about it. And that's why the government shut down. And I hope it stays shut down. We're, I think we're past the 30-day point. Let's start riffing some folks, no offense, and get the Democrats back to the table. All right. Thank you for being with us today. If you are out of here, God bless you from the heartland. If you're hanging around, we have more for you after these messages from onenewsnow.com.